I'm not talking to you. You are conceited. You are conceited. This is the mop up. I'm David Feldman. It's the oldest Republican trick in the book. Dismantle government, demonize government, debilitate and destroy. That is why Republicans go to Washington to destroy. That's why they go there. They go there to destroy to dismantle the regulatory state, to destroy government so that their corporate benefactors can do whatever they want. It is the Republicans who lower taxes for the wealthy, run up huge deficits, then demand fiscal austerity by making cuts to things like the Environmental Protection Agency, which they've always detested, cutting FEMA, cutting all preventive medicine. And by preventive medicine, I mean inspections, checking the railroads and making sure they're safe. And then after government has been stripped and looted, when there's a horrible chemical spill in East Palestine, Ohio, after Norfolk Southern freight train derails, the Republicans wouldn't dare blame Norfolk Southern. It can't be Norfolk Southern's fault for not hiring enough engineers. It's not Norfolk Southern's fault for negotiating a new contract that doesn't allow their workers sick days, a new contract that exhausts their workers. It's not Norfolk Southern's fault for hiring lobbyists to defund the National Transportation Safety Board, to defund the EPA so their executives over at Norfolk Southern don't have to fill out all that cumbersome paperwork and aren't subjected to all those inspections. No, with the Republicans, it's never Norfolk Southern's fault. It's the government's. Donald Trump showed up in East Palestine this week to lend his support. Yeah, to lend his support. He created the situation. Headline, this is from USA Today. When Trump gave that massive tax cut back in 2017 to the wealthy, he wanted our friends over at ICE to then round up more innocent women and children. So how did he pay for it? Donald Trump immediately took $10 million from FEMA and gave it to ICE because women and children of color are more toxic than a railroad company spilling 115,580 gallons of vinyl chloride. And then when FEMA is slow to respond to a crisis, the Republicans say, you see, government can't do anything right. It's like cutting off someone's legs, then blaming them for not being able to walk. Two years later, after that massive tax cut to the rich, it began to kick in that massive tax cut to the rich, and America was broke in 2019, we're talking about. And more money from FEMA, from FEMA, had to be transferred to ICE to maintain the for-profit prison camps that Donald Trump was running. This prompted then-presidential candidate, now Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, to tweet. He was a candidate taking money Congress authorized to protect people facing disaster 
in order to indefinitely detain asylum seekers is unconscionable. It is unworthy of the presidency and unworthy of the United States. This was Mayor Pete back in 2019. He was retweeting at the time a CBS News story that said Donald Trump, President Donald Trump, had diverted $155 million from FEMA and given it to ICE. As you know, I don't trust Mayor Pete. So I double checked the story with PolitiFact and Mayor Pete was true. It is what you call a true fact. It says over PolitiFact, but the remaining $158.4 million would, as Buttigieg said, come from FEMA, the agency that handles disaster prevention and recovery. Mayor Pete was telling the the truth. But wait, as it so often does with Donald Trump, it gets worse, worse or worse. In August of 2020, Rolling Stone, in an article written by Tessa Stewart, writes, Trump looted $44 billion from FEMA's disaster relief fund in the middle of a record-setting hurricane season. That was the fourth year of Trump's presidency. He diverted $44 billion away from FEMA. Trump destroyed FEMA. More from PolitiFact. In July of 2020, Sophie Austin from PolitiFact wrote about Donald Trump's budget cuts for the EPA, and she points out this is exactly what Donald Trump, as a presidential candidate back in 2016, promised to do. Quote, This is as a candidate, Department of Environmental Protection. We're going to get rid of it in almost every form. We're going to have a little tidbits left, but we're going to take a tremendous amount out. He promised to dismantle the EPA. He said he was going to do that. In 1997, Dr. Maya Angelou was on Oprah, and one of my listeners posted this quotation in the comment section for a previous episode. I want to thank her. And I read the quote. I had no idea that it was a quote from a lesson that Oprah learned from Dr. Maya Angelou. So I want you to listen to this quote. It's from 1997. Oprah and Maya Angelou talking about one of the important life lessons Maya Angelou taught Oprah. When people show you who they are, believe them. Yes, absolutely. A person says to you, I'm selfish, or I'm mean, or I am unkind. Or I'm crazy. Or I'm crazy. Believe them. They know themselves much better than you do. Mm -hmm. But no, more often than not, Those of us who don't trust life say, don't say a thing like that. Mm -hmm. You're not really crazy. You're not really unkind. You're not really mean. And as soon as you say that, the person, pow, lets you know. And shows you, I told you. Mm -hmm. I told you I was unkind. So now why are you angry? Go rewind that and play that again. When people tell you who they are, believe them the first time. 
Read Mein Kampf. Hitler told you who he was the first time. Believe them. Three weeks after the derailment, talking about people who you should believe the first time when they say they're unkind and abusive and bullies, believe Donald Trump back in 2016. He told you who he was. Three weeks after the derailment in East Palestine, candidate Donald Trump showed up to criticize the Biden administration. Okay, he wants to criticize the Biden administration. Let's look at Donald Trump's record. Okay, let's start off with Mother Jones, a simple headline. It's from 2019, while Donald Trump was still president. Donald Trump eliminated a website that would allow citizens, journalists, and scientists to keep track of toxic chemical spills around the country. Okay, that was, we're starting off easy. Let's start with uh, more of his record. Let's continue with his record. Trump's budget proposal for fiscal year 2021, this was his last budget proposal. It contained another 26% cut to funding for the Environmental Protection Agency. He was trying to pay for that massive tax cut for the rich that still hasn't been repealed. He proposed eliminating almost 50 programs, including programs that help fight pollution, radon, and lead. According to Politico, Trump (laughs) put a veteran of the chemical industry in charge of the Environmental Protection Agency's Chemical Safety Office. Politico goes on to write where she made industry-friendly changes to how the agency studied health risks. This is what Republicans do. They loot the federal government and then they put their cronies in charge of agencies that are supposed to protect us from industry killing us. They put the people from the industry who we have to be protected from. They make, as they say, the fox guard the hen house. More on Donald Trump's record as president where he rolled back 87 environmental regulations. Every year that he was in office, Trump called for major cuts to the Department of Transportation, as well as the Environmental Protection Agency's budgets. Each year that Donald Trump was president, he proposed at least a 13% cut to the Department of Transportation. More on Donald Trump's glorious record on safety and the environment. As President Trump rolled back rules on trains carrying flammable liquids, he said the cost of a new braking system for individual railway cars, the costs outweigh the benefits of accident preventions. He argued the cost of the new braking systems outweighed the benefits of accident prevention. And we're starting to see that it was the braking system that overheated in East Palestine. The Associated Press found that the Department of Transportation during the Trump administration underestimated the future damages of derailments by more than $100 million. Almost every year that Donald Trump was in office, He called for major cuts to the Department of Transportation 
and Environmental Protection Agency budgets. And each year, I already told you that, he uh, called for uh, cuts to the Department of Transportation. Here is former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who now works for Fox News. Now, keep in mind, Jason Chaffetz hates the EPA. He's a Republican, hates the Department of Transportation and hates the government. But here he is complaining about Joe Biden's response to the derailment in East Palestine. They, they take weeks for FEMA to show up. They take weeks for the Department of Transportation to show up. The disaster happened nearly three weeks ago. And these people are just now getting around saying, hey, I better go ahead and show up. Come on. Even the Ohio Department of, of Natural Resources said there were 3,500 dead fish in the rivers. Don't tell me, Mr. EPA Administrator, that all's fine in the water when the fish are dying and the frogs are dying. Do your job. Show up. Give those people some relief. Give them some hope and do what Donald Trump is doing. Show up and listen and learn. That's what you got to do. Show up, listen and learn. It's a little too late for a former president to be learning about why we need to regulate the railroads. Yeah, just cut the EPA, cut the Department of Transportation. And then when there's a derailment, see, government doesn't work. Here is Sean Hannity, whose job it is to tell low information voters that government can't do anything right to justify tax cuts for the wealthy. Sean Hannity is a propaganda machine for the richest 1% who want us to think government doesn't work. Um, I don't think I'll ever listen to another, anybody in government on any health issue in the future based on how much they got wrong with COVID-19. I don't trust them. And based on how much they got wrong on COVID-19. Who was president when the government got it all wrong on COVID-19, Sean Hannity. I believe it was the guy you talked to every night. I think it was Donald Trump who got it all wrong on COVID-19. When you put imbeciles in government, government gets everything wrong. And that affords you the opportunity to say, government can't do anything right. You're listening to The David Feldman Show. You happy, self-actualized hump. It's time now for the professors in Marianne. Professor Marianne Cummings is a particle physicist, a brilliant painter, unbelievable artist, unbelievable, and parks commissioner of Aurora, Illinois, the second largest city in Illinois. I forgot the first. And uh, we're going to talk about the one-year anniversary of Ukraine the Rage Against the Machine, War Machine rally, and how difficult it is to talk about Ukraine. I, I learned the hard way this week how hard it is to talk about Ukraine, to kind of spell out both sides, come to a conclusion uh, that I feel, and uh, it's hard to talk about Ukraine. And uh, also joining us is Professor Jonathan Bick, who teaches three classes at office hours. He teaches the Twilight Zone. He teaches Columbo. And he teaches Star Trek. 
And uh, welcome, Professor Jonathan Bick. We're going to be talking about savings accounts and how we're getting shafted by the, the banks. Uh, you'll have to explain what a savings account is. Now, this is money that people put into, it's, it's extra money that people have? Extra money that people have. Uh, okay, well, it's a weird concept. We'll yeah. get to that in a second. And uh, also with us is a cafeteria lady, nice cafeteria lady, Joe in Norway. <laughs> <laughs> my, my apologies to the Reverend, but hail Satan. Hail Satan. We're going, hail Satan. We're going full oh, sight today. Are you making Satan today? So I'll be making Satan today. It's a very <laughs> simple recipe. I love Satan. I live on Satan. Not that Satan. Satan. So, so wait a second. There, Satan doesn't come wrapped in plastic in the deli case at the supermarket? Not originally. You know what? I may just watch this pay, it, pay attention so you can Two make ingredients your own satan so uh, it's basically water and flour you can use whole wheat or or white flour i'm going to use white because it has a finer taste and, and texture but ultimately it just gets down to well the, you're uh, removing the, the gluten but you're, you're taking the gluten mm -hmm. out of the yeah. I've seen that so, on youtube where you kind of uh, so the basic recipe is is three to one wheat to to water. So you make a dough ball, which I've done here. Right. Just like you just like you would make um, a bread, just right. only with only with water. And then we we uh, we knead it until the the gluten develops. Then we just leave it in the water for a little bit, and then massage all of the starch and bran out of it. And you're just left with the pure gluten, which then will cook in a stock and uh, use for dishes later. Okay. Super simple. So just so I understand this, because I pay about mm -hmm. $3 a bar of Saiten. They add other things. Oh, yeah. Flax it's, and flavoring mm -hmm. and rice. And so this is just the basic, basic recipe, just seasoned with whatever you want to, whatever stock you want to cook it in. And it's just chunks you of season later, basically. So it's chunks yeah. of gluten. Yes. I'll, I'll basically be knotting it up into a ball so that it gets the textures like you would. My fourth chicken, wife, chicken flesh or something. Yeah. I used to uh, feed this to my fourth wife who suffers from celiac disease. <laughs> mm. I can't imagine why she's your former wife, David. Well, she, Sonny Von Bulow was her name. I just. We lived in Rhode Island together. And I just so first, I'm going to mix a ball. And I've already prepared one, so we'll do that beforehand. So I've got two going on, so just not to confuse anybody. But All right. Now, the last question. Forward. Last question. I buy gluten to add to bread. Mm -hmm. Can I make Satan with that? That is the easiest, quickest way to do it. So that's vital wheat gluten. So it's just the pure gluten and it goes immediately into the ball. So you can season that with, with herbs and whatnot and then cook it in stock for some time. Okay. But, but this, this is the full flour that I'm going to wash out all of the, the starch and the, the 
than Brian. Fantastic. Okay. Professor John, what is this? Am I pronouncing this properly? Savings account? You got it, David. And this is money. You're saying that this is money that doesn't get spent on health care, food, gas, clothing, and shelter. Yes. And so there's an it, account where you can keep this mythical money that you say people have. Right. Okay. Right. Mythical money. Yep. Yeah. If, if you happen to make more than you spend uh, and uh, you don't want to keep it in your checking account because most checking accounts don't pay any interest. Right. Uh, or if they do, it's minuscule. Uh, a savings account is a very safe place to keep it, assuming that your bank is FDIC insured. And uh, you should only bank with banks that are a member of the FDIC. Um, that means that your, your uh, savings are protected up to $250,000 by the Ooh, okay, US good. government. That's, that, okay. Yeah. Uh, so... Yeah, most large banks, however, David, are paying next to nothing on their customers' savings accounts. So uh, the big mega banks, like uh, if it's okay to name names. Yes. Okay. Bank I, of I did during the I did during the fifties. Why not now? <laughs> oh, must be on the wrong show here. Um, Would you like them alphabetically? <laughs> That's how I testified before Huac, which uh, nice of you to make it easy for them. Al Pacino should have been the chairman of Huac, right? Huac, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm out of my mind. All right. So um, it used to be not that long ago before the Federal Reserve started raising interest rates that savings accounts were you couldn't find one that was paying more than one percent. Most of them were well under that. But now uh, that the, the Federal Reserve has been raising rates quickly and significantly, uh, you can find savings accounts that pay over 4%. So you don't want to have your savings in, in an account that's paying 0.1%, right? Which is one-tenth of 1%. Uh, you can get a, a reasonable rate, you know, over 4% if you look around. And um, according to the Wall Street Journal uh, and other sources, the best overall credit union is Alliant Credit Union, A-L-L-I-A-N-T. And um, they have well-rounded options in terms of checking accounts and savings accounts. Their savings account is paying... Uh, 2.95, so almost 3%. Uh, you can find ones that are paying more, but uh, there are advantages to this. If, if you have a credit card, uh, their credit card pays up to 2.5% cash back. So don't carry a balance, but if, but if you want cash back, that is, that's the highest I've, I've seen that you can spend on anything. Um, and um, they have over 80,000 ATMs uh, around the country, and they also reimburse you for up to $20 in ATM charges. So it's uh, a decent credit union, which usually gives you a better deal than a bank. Um, and it, there's also Treasury Direct, which is the U.S. Treasury. You go to treasurydirect.gov and you can buy short term 
treasury bills, anywhere from one month to six months, and the rates are between four and a half and five percent. Isn't there a treasury that you can buy that's linked to inflation? There is. That is also issued by the uh, treasury, uh, U.S. Treasury. That is the uh, I bond or inflation bond. And I believe it's paying uh, 6.8% right now. Um, But that fluctuates every six months. So it had been paying over 9% when inflation was really high. Now it's paying six. I don't know when it readjusts. Does it fluctuate with inflation or when you buy it? Does it lock in at the rate you, you buy it at? It locks in at the rate you buy it at for six months. I see. And then it just moves with. And then it'll readjust every six months after that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And you can do that with a mortgage, right? Where it goes up and down with inflation or something with rates. You can get an adjustable rate mortgage. Adjustable. Yeah. I would not necessarily recommend that. But um, yeah, you can get a fixed rate, which is the same for however many years you take out the mortgage or. Uh, you can get an arm, which is an adjustable rate mortgage, which depending on the particular one that you get, uh, your r- rate will adjust according to um, what inf- what uh, rate the uh, the Federal Reserve sets the interest rate at. So if they're raising rates, then your arm is likely to go up. And, uh, and if they're low, let me just ask you this. What does it cost to get a library card and just sit in your apartment and read and uh, not have any friends or go out uh, <laughs> and do a podcast? That is very, <laughs> just I asking. think you know the answer to that better than I do, but <laughs> <laughs> I could give financial advice. Yeah, that's uh, free. Yeah, that is free. get a library card and don't leave your home if you're lucky enough to have one. Good advice. Good advice. Yes. Okay, go on. Uh, So uh, if you're looking for a savings account with the highest uh, uh, return, uh, the highest rate, uh, the one that I've been able to find is about four and a half percent. That's at uh, CFG Bank. You can look at that. Um, But the highest rates are with U.S. uh, uh, with the U.S. Treasury, uh, Treasury Direct right now. And uh, you do not pay state or local income tax on that interest. You do take you do pay federal income tax, but not state or local. So particularly if you're living in New York, which has a local income tax, in addition to the New York state income tax, um, that might be something to look into. Yes, the privilege of living in New York City. You pay a surcharge for the privilege of the stench. It's a stench. It's called the stench tax. Yeah, and it's pretty significant. Uh, the stench. Yeah. Yeah. When I walk outside and I that sulfuric smell, I go, oh, it's strong today. They're, they're going to charge me for this. Go ahead. <laughs> so that's it. That's uh, I just wanted to make people aware that they if they're one of the larger banks, they're probably getting very little on their savings account. Uh, you can get accounts that pay pretty well, you know, between four and five percent or go with uh, Treasury Direct. And, uh, you know, you can get a, a significantly more on your savings if, if that's uh, if you have it. Right. 
Okay. And there was another topic. I want to go to Professor Marianne, but what was the other topic you wanted to talk about? So the other one is uh, non-compete contracts, but right. I think Professor Marianne needs to go somewhere. So yeah. maybe she should go first. Okay. Um, yeah, the non-compete tr- contracts are horrible, particularly in academia, because for people who you know, do not have tenured or permanent jobs, you work on a specialized project, and then you suddenly get fired because these are at will. And when you had an at will contract, you have no recourse. I mean, they can fire you for any reason at all. And then you got this non-compete. You can't work for anybody else either. It's say you are developing a certain kind of magnet with a certain kind of technology. You're a specialist in uh, superconducting materials or something like that. Uh, we this, uh, you know, this is. There's been a little confusion. This is not a non-disclosure agreement. Those we have all the time. If if you're working on something that's a trade secret, or for a company like our company, uh, you can't just go over and work for another company and take like the idea that I was working on here and make money at another company. That's there's there's been some confusion over what those two things are, but the non-compete is just terrible. That means you can't work anywhere. Well, I what mean, about now, in all fairness, Yeah. if you're uh, flipping burgers at McDonald's and you're learning the business, should you be allowed to go across the street and work at Burger King and take all the company secrets with you? I just think <laughs> you should be encouraged. <laughs> Isn't that I think President Biden was talking about that, where you, you can't you're you cannot work. If you're a burger flipper at McDonald's, you, you can't work for Jack in the Box. That's ridiculous. I'm sure that they're going to like really uh, do background checks on that. No, as a matter of fact, if you uh, if you're Jack, does Jack in the Box exist? Does, yes. If you're if you're Burger King and and you know somebody already knows how to operate, you know a skillet. Yeah, they, you'd be happy that you didn't have to train them. Okay. Yeah. So these non competes are. I mean, they might have made sense in some narrow type of uh, some narrow type of circumstances, but they're so broadly used. And it's kind of a way to control workers because, Mm. you know, you can't just leave a really bad job if you've got a no non-compete because then you can't find work. I mean, you can work someplace else, but you can't be doing um, what you were doing for the company. So it. All right. Well, let's talk about Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Let's go on. On lighter subjects now. Well, let me set this up because I dipped my toe into it big time this week. Ooh, with who? I'm sorry? Who who were you uh, discussing this week? On Monday's show, I I decided I've been staying away from it because for many reasons. And then I decided, okay, I'm going to add everything up and come to a what I think is a conclusion, because I had watched the rage against the war machine rally. And one of the conclusions I came away with is you have to be able to trust leaders to guide you towards the right answer. Like who, who, who are the people who are for something and who are the people who are against something and this rage against the machine in war machine rally tried to blur the lines because it did have Jill Stein, Dennis Kucinich, Christopher Hedges. 
Chris Hedges uh, gave a great speech. Yeah, I yep. heard that. And, and David Swanson, who are, you know, know way more than I do. But there were certain people who weren't there, and there weren't enough Martin Luther Kings there. My father knew the Vietnam War was wrong when Martin Luther King said the Vietnam War is wrong. Because we need people, we need Martin Luther Kings to teach us right from wrong. And I didn't see, I love Christopher Hedges, I do. But um, I felt that that rally, the balance of it, were uh, hucksters, cryptocurrency, hucksters, faux lefties, who reminded me of the America Firsters pre-World War II, the people who have nothing nice to say about Roosevelt and the Jews, but nothing bad to say about Hitler, that people disguise their intent. And I <laughs> worked Nazis. over the weekend because what is the definition of peace? If the, def if the definition of peace is uh, letting Putin roll over Ukraine and absorb it into his federation, that's one definition of peace. There are many definitions of peace. That would be a very kind of uh, simplistic way to frame the conversation. I know. I'm just I'm just saying. So, I, know, I know what you're saying. I know what you're so, saying. And I spent the weekend kind of studying the issues mm -hmm. and trying to add it all up. And this is what I decided. This was my conclusion. There, the, the, there's, when does the clock start on a conflict? Because we can keep digging up the past and go all the way back to the Ottoman Empire. At what point do we say, okay, the clock starts now? And, and I do know that, especially with Israel, that there's a tendency with the Palestinians to where the Israelis will say, you, you can't do this. This is wrong. And then people and that's a way of distorting the argument and not understanding why it's being done. I get that. Mm -hmm. um, at some point, you have to listen to the United Nations, I feel at some point. You, you need a body, a democratic body that's, that's almost not quite where you have experts who have relitigated the past and the present. And they say there are lines that you have to obey and it doesn't matter. This is what I concluded. Um, America is not a force for good in the world. Our Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden. We do horrible things overseas. We tamper. I, you know, that's all we talk about on this show. Uh, and Putin does horrible things overseas. Um, so the question is, what is going on in Ukraine? And is genocide being committed in the Donbass region? And if genocide is being committed in the Donbass region, it is the responsibility of the UN to stop it, not Putin invading Ukraine, um, invading another country mm -hmm. and then wanting to absorb it into your federation and make it yours, thinking Ukraine and Russia are one. 
violates international law. And I know America violates international law all the time. We don't belong to the I know that. But at what point do you say, well, laws don't matter because they're not followed? That's the conclusion I came to. And I guess the question is, what if Putin doesn't want to negotiate? We, we talk about Boris Johnson saying to Zelensky, don't you dare negotiate with Putin. What if he doesn't want to negotiate? What do you do? That's these are the questions I have. Yeah, but these are those are academic because he obviously did want to negotiate for years. And, you know, uh, the side, my country, you know, the the entity that my tax dollars goes to is the entity that I feel responsible for. And, you know, uh, I, I think that that's again, I I think that's kind of a well, what, what happens. How do we there? There are what, 17 million displaced Ukrainians. It's a disaster. So mm -hmm. my instinct is, uh, OK, the past is the past. You can't relitigate the past. Right. Uh, Victoria Newland, the Maidan, it was a granted it was a coup that the United States uh, stirred up. And I'll give you all that. What do we do now? We go back to the negotiating. But what if he doesn't I mean, want to negotiate? Okay, well, the thing is, is that, yeah, what if he just pushes a button and blows us all up? We can't stop that. You know, the fact is, is that at every step of the way, the Russians were willing to negotiate. They may still be doing that. I think at this point, we don't have anybody in our State Department to negotiate with. It may That's just right. be up to the Chinese at this right. point to mediate because they're the only ones with uh, the, the only other body. There's the United States, there's Russia and there's China. We're just talking about powers. We're talking we're talking about military plus economic powers. And those that's the big force vectors on this planet. And uh, I think. The Chinese are going to be the ones deciding this. If they just decide, hey, that's enough, There's the U.S. is getting really aggressive around our borders, in our waters. The Marines have made a recent statement that they're going to be, you know, that they're going to reconfigure back to their original concept, uh, back, back to their original uh, uh, form, which was amphibious fighting. And uh, as... Uh, as a former guest of the show pointed out in one of his articles this past week, there's a lot of oil in the South China Sea. So this whole ginning up conflict with China. OK, but let's stay may not be over may, let's may not be over the Taiwan. But I'm saying is that China is following is finally looks like they're stepping in going, OK, this is enough. You know, if they back Russia, if they they they've stayed out of the Ukraine conference or conflict so far, if they back Russia, then we're all going to have to come to the table. And it's going to be that Russia's probably going to get the Donbass. They're going to get that land bridge. They're going to keep Crimea. By the way, I have to ask you a question because there is a real relevant situation going on, and it's going on in the former Yugoslavian republics. Serbia has a breakaway province, I believe it's Kosovo. Kosovo, Muslim. And uh, there was not even a referendum there. 
I mean, the UN forces have just gone in. And uh, right before the buildup to, uh, right before the invasion, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, both Donbass regions asked the, the Russia to recognize them as independent entities apart from UK. Originally, their, their original referendum back in 2014 was just to be autonomous entities. And that was kind of the basics basis of the Minsk Accords, the second Minsk Accords. And, but right before they went in, they asked Russia, you know, because, and what happened right before that? The shelling from the Ukrainians, like uh, expanded by an order, by two orders of magnitude, almost a hundredfold. Now, if I had been reading Moon of Alabama, the site I went to during the buildup to the Iraq war, I would have known this. I didn't know this at the time. The only thing I knew at the time was that that was different because I didn't think a Russian was going to invade was that the that the Russian parliament had voted to recognize the two autonomous regions in the Donbass and I thought ooh that's different but I thought Putin was just going to use that as a bargaining chip so you're going to have to say um and then Putin being a lawyer uh what did he evoke I think he evoked the same um article of the United Nations that was invoked when we all went and invaded Libya. <laughs> okay. So we've but, got a, like we've got a world to sort out. It hasn't been a rules-based order. This is where it gets us because sooner or later, you know, the countries we think are so weak aren't going to be so weak. Let me let me ask you about NATO cuz we we and, and Professor John uh please join looking please. at a map of Ukraine. We talk about NATO at the doorstep of Russia and Russia doesn't feel safe because it bore the brunt of World War II. It's been invaded several times. But but you look at these border countries that have joined NATO, Estonia, Latvia, uh, Lithuania, Belarus didn't. Uh, I believe Finland and Sweden are joining NATO. Uh, is NATO, and this is a loaded question, but I'm going to ask him anyway, is NATO invading Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, uh, and Ukraine and demanding that they join NATO? Are they, is, is this by force? Now, you, not. you talked about the Maidan that, that Hillary and Victoria Nuland helped orchestrate uh, the, the Maidan uprising. So one could argue we've meddled. But are there people in these border countries like Belarus, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, not Belarus, I'm sorry, who feel they're under the thumb of NATO? Do they? I don't know. I know they have to pay 2% of their GDP to buy weapons from America. But as evil as the West is, and it is, I think the IMF and the World Bank, I think they're loan sharks. But are these countries being forced to join NATO? Well, they're looking at uh, the alternative, which is uh, which uh, now uh, that Russia has invaded Ukraine. Uh, but these, they, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, I really I don't want this to be an argument. But I the thing that I take pride on in, in this show is that it's that it's I don't argue. I, I'm really try, trying to learn. Obviously, I've come to a conclusion so my questions are loaded. I, I'm willing. I'm not going to pretend that I haven't arrived at some 
conclusion. I'm going to be honest with you, but I'm asking uh, if you look at Estonia, Lithuania, uh, these countries, Poland that bump up against Russia, they went they joined NATO as soon as they could for economic reasons. Right. Or because they were afraid of Russia's expansionism. Well, there really wasn't Russian expansionism uh, uh, for decades. Um, well, is that uh, true? But, well, but they're joining for all sorts of different reasons, right? So they, they, there are economic reasons to join NATO. There are uh, strategic region, reasons to join NATO. Uh, you know, if they're, if they're going to put their lot, if they're going to join one side or the other, um, probably makes sense to join the West, right? Better economy, uh, more freedoms, uh, you know, more, more power than, than Russia has. So uh, I guess that shouldn't be a surprise. Is but- there a fear? This is a loaded question. I'm not trying to get into an argument. You, you can tell where, where, my, where I'm leading, though. I'm, I'm not going to be dishonest. um is there a uh all right go ahead i'm sorry go ahead okay so but but the reason why uh they they joined nato i mean the 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 first reason is that it was opened to them nato wanted to expand to the east even though its reason for being had disappeared which was the Soviet Union, which was uh, the Warsaw Pact, which was so NATO was conceived in order to contain communism, right? Mm -hmm. To contain Russia, basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, Russia was the largest part of the Soviet Union. Right. And um, and there is a Russian Federation that is has has expanded. Right. Where has it expanded? Well, he's invaded. Didn't he invade Georgia? Only after Georgia said it wanted to join NATO. OK. And after Georgia attacked after the civil war where one side attacked another that wanted to stay with Russia. But that's details. Uh, John McCain was egging those guys on. But yeah. I mean, but there is a there is a history of Russia invading Post-World War II, a history of it invading Hungary. Oh, yeah, the Soviet Union. But, but, you know. But there's a difference between the Soviet Union and Russia. Is there? Oh, most definitely. Uh, First of all, I mean, the the political remnants of the Soviet Union is in the Communist Party, which is a distant second to uh, Putin's party. Isn't isn't the current iteration of Russia run by ex-KGB people? Well, Putin was, I mean, but Putin I don't was aren't, a, aren't all the oligarchs, didn't, didn't they, with the help of the evil United States, didn't we gut the old Soviet Union and the K- old KGB, knowing that Russia was going to fall, parked all the money in America, waited for the Soviet Union to fall. And then all these KGB agents became oligarchs buying up what was once state-owned industry? That's how these guys became. Okay. The, the, well, they the weren't all ideology. KGB. I do not know this. I I do not know this as a fact. I know that they were party people, and and some military people. But I would have to. Okay, so the Soviet Union 
as I see it, Russia was the, was a communist, somewhat imperial uh, list nation, somewhat in in that it expanded into well, far, far less than the United States. I okay, mean, that, but it, that has to be said. Right. But it did have expansionist ideologically. It was expansionist and it spread into Eastern Europe and um, the Soviet Union collapsed. The ideology collapsed with it. But the Russian character, you know, the Russian identity, the nationalism that was linked, that goes back to the czars is still very much alive. And as all nations, they tend to expand and go where the money is, go where the... Well, you know, you have to consider why nationalism has surged in Russia. Um, you, you need to consider that when the Soviet Union fell and the uh, U.S. sent the boys from Harvard over to make sure that the central economy would never uh, function again, uh, and they didn't particularly care if that meant oligarchs were going to come out of this. Right. Um, and uh, an entire generation of people were uh, devastated by the collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, you know, I mean, just their savings was wiped out. They uh, they lost uh, access to health care. They lost access to uh, education to a certain degree. They lost access to a lot of things that were provided um, by the former uh, state. So uh, there's that. When you do that, we corrupted Wall Street, Great Britain. Off, we offshored something like 80 percent of Russia's GDP. And it has been a destabilizing factor all over the world in, in terms of real estate money laundering. And we have Wall Street to blame for that. I, I, I don't argue with that. I'm not saying America is uh, not to blame for or the West is not to blame for Russia's immiseration as what gave rise to Putin. But there's still no the same way <laughs> America gave rise to Hitler through, the, you know, uh, the, the the Versailles Treaty and forcing uh, Hitler, the Germans to pay reparations. We created Hitler. But at, at some point, uh, well, if you humiliate point, a people and a country, then you're likely to get this sort of ultra nationalism that has resulted. It totally leveled the economy in the former Soviet Union. Uh, what it gave rise to an era of gangsterism. Mm -hmm. And that gangsterism gave rise to Putin, who was able to put that under control. But he's and, a gangster. Yeah, but not at the same time. To the extent that any leader of a great country is a gangster. I mean, look at the way even Biden's brainstem is speaking these days. But do you think, like, do you, I'm curious, do you really think as horrible as this country is, uh, the, and we, you know, Julian Assange and notwithstanding and Edward Snowden and, you know, um, other political our, prisoners and our Leonard political Peltier. prisoners. Yeah, yeah. Do, do you do you think we're the same as Russia in terms of freedoms? No, I don't think we're the same. I think we're better than Russia. Uh, but I don't see where that has much to do 
with Ukraine at this point. Well, uh, because the, be, because it seems to me that the rationale for uh, what I heard is Amer- America is a horrible country, which it is. <laughs> you know, it is. Uh, we do horrible things. So therefore, our government we, does horrible things. Our government does do horrible things. Uh, and so the extension that I hear is, therefore, Putin should be allowed to do whatever he wants to Ukraine. Good no. Lord, where do you ever get that? I mean, we're just asking our country, the country that my tax dollars go to, the, that the leaders of whom I, in principle, may have some influence over, right. to act like adults in the world and don't let things get to this point. Right. You know? Because things will get to this point if we keep, as I said, if we keep uh, antagonizing China in the South China Sea, we'll have another war there, too. And then people will be asking me, oh, but do you want to live in China? Oh, China's a terrible communist dictatorship. I said, yeah, it has nothing to do with our behavior. Our behavior, and we had for 30 years the preeminent military, we still do, we had the preeminent economy that is in the decline right now, but we used our position in the world to maximize conflict, to increase wealth inequality. We didn't have, we we made only the lamest attempts to get people together, together to address climate change. I mean, there are huge, enormous problems facing this planet, and we're not we're we're not tackling any of them in a very serious way. I'm not disagreeing with you, but what does that have to do with Ukraine? Yes, we can. Yeah, it has a lot to do with Ukraine because we had a State Department that was filled with Dick Cheney acolytes, in particular, his senior foreign advisor, who basically, as a stated plan, felt that Russia had to be destroyed. In other words, broken apart. China had to be broken apart. If Ben Norton knew that and wrote about it, that means the leadership of China and Russia knows all about these guys. They know who's in our State Department and what their plans are. But, you know, we could have behaved in a different way. But right. Okay. so I I agree. I'm not arguing. I think the State Department and the CIA are not monolithic deep state actors. I think the reason we have as much information as we do about Victoria Newland, and we heard we were able to listen to the phone call that she made. Well, you know, they're not smart. Well, yeah, but they're, <laughs> These they're people competing. aren't really bright, but they are in power. Right. But we do have competing yeah. forces within our State Department and really and the CIA. Yes, that's why things get leaked. But oh, we most of the leaking has been coming from the Defense Department that I have seen. OK, but yeah, you're right. We well, our government is not a monolith. And thank God. And Hillary is to blame for for Libya. And she's to blame for Maidan and Yanukovych uh, being thrown out of office. But isn't it also true that Yanukovych was looting Ukraine and was corrupt? They're all looting in Ukraine, even more so the guy that was later in that was later voted in without the eastern provinces and the current president 
according to the Pandora Papers that came out last in mm-hmm. fall of 2021. Right. So, you know, my my point is, is that, yeah, people are going to behave badly. There is a way to deal with other countries in the world where you don't where you where you don't encourage the worst aspects. Putin doesn't act alone. Putin's under political forces in his country. And from what I've read, there is far more bellicose than Putin. I mean, look, Khrushchev was missiles in Cuba very unwisely because he was under pressure from his generals. And he may be he may be if if anybody takes out Putin, it's going to be the Wagner group, his private army. Oh, that, that, that's that's nonsense. That guy is such a chucklehead. I heard him interviewed the other day. Uh, and by the way, Putin knows how to deal with oligarchs who think that they actually run the country. OK, so I agree that we haven't done enough to drag drag Putin to the peace table. I agree. No, it's not a matter of dragging Putin to the peace table. We haven't backed up the agreements that we made going back now eight years. And we haven't haven't pressured Ukraine to back up the agreement. As a matter of fact, after a Merkel admitted that, oh, well, I don't I, I don't I don't know if she's telling the truth here. I think I have a hard time believing that she wasn't sincere. But now she's saying, well, we were just doing it to, you know, stall off Putin and build up forces for war in Ukraine. And and now people in Zelensky's government are saying, yeah, we were never serious about that, about the Minsk Accords, although it seemed early in his presidency, Zelensky seemed to take them seriously. He went out to the Donbass area, talked to people on both sides. You know, he seemed at least unless it was all a photo op. I mean, he seemed fairly earnest and sincere about beginning to implement the Minsk Accords. But, you know, other things have prevailed. Who's the other force? Oh, that would be the United States. Things don't happen in Ukraine and things don't even happen in NATO without the U.S., wanting them to happen. So if we are pushing for war, if we are sabotaging every effort at peace, which we appear to be doing, the erstwhile prime minister of Israel just came out with his own story a couple of weeks ago. That's a whole lot. Let's not even touch. But yeah, let's not really talk about that guy. Okay. But what I'm saying is that, you know, I don't my taxes don't go to the Russian army. My taxes go to the U.S. Army and the military. And I want my government to behave like an adult in a world with competing forces where, you know, the leaders of these countries are themselves under competing forces in their countries. And if an adult would look at that and try to approach a situation where they wouldn't put the person who currently happens to be the head of that country in an awkward position of having to, you know, look weak or defeated or, you know, basically get thrown out by even more bellicose forces, which is almost always the case. Um, so okay. anyway, you wanted to you somehow were going to weed this back into uh, the the anti-war rally rage against. Yeah. The war. Be, so what I was uh there, there are some of the speakers there. Uh, I think we should move on. I don't think they're they're worthy. I, I don't want to get into a discussion about Jimmy Dore and Jackson Hinkle. They're not worth the oxygen. No, but my but my friend Sabrina Salvati might be a person you might want to have on the show one of these days. She was one 
of the organizers. She's with Revolutionary Blackout Network. Okay. Uh, very, uh, you know, uh, uh, an African American, a group of African American far left people, many socialists and Marxists. And uh, well, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Is it Diane Sayre, the, w- the woman who ran against Chuck Schumer, the Lyndon LaRouche lady? Yeah, I think that that was it. Okay, so I think that's all I know about her. You've you've had meetings. People have said to you, "Hey, there's a project. Come to this meeting. Maybe you'll." You'll maybe you want to be a part of this project, work or a movement. And if I sit down at the conference, if if, for example, I'm a comedy writer. Mm -hmm. So if I sit down and at the conference table and assuming I don't need the money, let's just assume I don't like I'll I'll work for Joe Rogan. Alternative universe. okay? Okay, in an alternative universe. But if I go to a conference table and they're planning a show. And I see Robert Smigel or Brian Rich or Brian Kiley or Brian Stack or uh, Brian Williams or, uh, or Michael Komen, Dave Cyrus. I go, oh, OK, this seems like a project. I trust the pedigree here. I know that sounds uh, snobbish and elitist, but we all do that. You you. We, we go to a party and we look around and if there are people wearing uh, KKK miters, maybe we leave. Uh, I didn't like the pedigree of the Rage Against the War Machine rally. While it did have people who are much smarter and better than I am, Dennis Kucinich and Chris Hedges, maybe Jill Stein, maybe, uh, and David Swanson, who I've had on this show, and these are, but they, but the 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 writing room, as I call it, had too many Joe Rogans and Jimmy Doors and uh, people who were going to overpower the writing room with crappy jokes because bad drives out the good. Bad well, will always drive. If you get into a writing room with racists, hucksters. Uh, they, they drive out the good. You cannot work with bad people. They um, they they cannot. They're uncompromising, and they they pretend to be reasonable until the rubber hits the road, and then they bring out the truncheons and crack your skull. Oh, that that sounds like trying to work with the Democratic Party around here. Um, well, look, maybe, but, but I, look, I, I just here, know, this is what I got to say about that. Um, there's a problem with anti-war rallies because it, you know, the people who normally would go to anti-war rallies, they feel their president is in charge, which would be the Democratic side. If Trump, if this were Trump, if Trump were president right now, you'd have much bigger attendance. It isn't just this rally. It's that there are no real significant rallies here yet. Now, there are in Europe because people are really feeling it. I mean, why is that, though? Because I said early on Monday's show, and this seemed to upset people. My father knew the Vietnam War was wrong when Martin Luther King spoke out against it. We have people, brave people in this country who aren't speaking. People we're supposed to trust people who who know the issues. 
Why aren't we seeing them at these rallies? We, we're not seeing a single leader among progressives speaking out in Congress. There are no peace. Me, there's nobody on the side of diplomacy or anything else like that in, you know, among our federal political class. And is, is it possible that because I, I don't want to mention any names and violate any trusts of people I know who are somewhat influential who have mm-hmm. spoken out a little, uh, have called for uh, peace and negotiations, but not uh, full-throated because I suspect they think it's more complicated. I suspect. Is it possible that the doctor, I guess there aren't that many, doc- I don't, I guess Dr. King is once I think that, century, you know, but- uh, escalation to nuclear war not that complicated. <laughs> I mean, of course, if we get to nuclear war, then all of our problems will be gone. Big reset. But that's what they the used to get us into Iraq. The same argument. Well, they were most of the people who considered themselves left at the time uh, were, you know, did not buy that argument. But that's not wasn't most of the people in the country, obviously. But we did have big rallies. It's and you know. Bush and Cheney were abhorrent to lefties and Democrats at the time. But, uh, you know, after after Bush, the the week after he invaded Iraq on a pack of lies, his approval rating was like 73 percent. Wasn't quite what it was right after 911. But, right. you know, people like war. Yeah. Um, his father had an approval rating of 90 percent oh yeah the, both of them had an approval waiting about 90 percent at right after well after the first Gulf and within War. a year within a year his father lost so i guess it i guess it brings me back to the united nations because it's i you're a particle physicist i'm not you know there you know your your brain you were born with a, a brain uh but even you and, and Professor Bick, you're brilliant. Eventually, we have to trust somebody, some or some organization in this world to to assess a situation. And to me, the UN seems to get it right. You know, we always talk about Colin Powell holding up the vial and saying this anthrax or rice and whatever he called it can be used and blah 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 blah. We have to, and we always talk about how Colin Powell lied before the UN and hoodwinked the world. But in fact, he didn't hoodwink the world. The UN said, you're an effing liar and we do not sanction the invasion of Iraq. And sometimes they do sanction. The UN does sanction war, but the UN and what sanctions did were put on us after the Iraq war? I don't think we, I think we were too big an entity for anything. But they didn't approve, the UN did not send anybody, they didn't, they spoke out. The UN did not approve of the invasion of Iraq. So, and the invasion of Iraq took place. Yeah. Right. And I'm the problem about, with the UN is it has no power. It has a moral authority though. And so who are we going to look to if America doesn't have moral authority and Russia doesn't have moral authority and Ukraine doesn't have moral authority and China doesn't have moral authority? Eventually, you have to say, you know what? 
Franklin Roosevelt was right. Maybe America should listen to the United Nations. In terms of moral, where is our Dr. King to guide us? I think the answer may be Antonio Guterres, the secretary general, a socialist. Before he was secretary general of the UN, he was secretary general of the Socialist Party in Portugal. I don't know. Maybe mm -hmm. he, he may not be Dr. King, but if you're looking for somebody to sort the, through this mess. But, but I think there's a problem with this logic, David. So my uh, position on Ukraine is not determined by who shows up at a rally. I'm not talking well, about the rally. No, I know. My, but my position, my position on Ukraine is also not going to be determined uh, by whoever happens to be the U.N. general secretary. I am going to look at all the circumstances, including history, uh, look at basic things like do states have interests and are right. they willing to defend them? Uh, the United States the certainly does. Don't you run into the danger then of deciding upon ivermectin in terms of doing your own research? There's doing your own research. And sometimes you have to trust Dr. Fauci. Or sometimes you have to trust your own doctor who has had personal experience. I also wouldn't trust trust one person. I wouldn't just trust Dr. Fauci. I would say, is there science to support what Dr. Fauci is saying that is uh, backed by other people who are aware of this technical issue? Um, I, I when it comes to political issues, I am not as uh, willing to surrender my judgment to experts because um, politics is supposed to be democratic, right? That's what we aspire to is democratic politics. Democratic politics does not say surrender your your yourself to experts yeah, that we're, might we're, have we're, to come out of Harvard. In a republic, we're a republic and we do. That is what a republic is. A republic says we, we we will vote you really do i believe maybe i'm wrong that you vote for a parks commissioner in aurora illinois because professor marianne cummings knows more about parks than i do and i have to meet her oh. well but i i <laughs> but i'll look I will basically represent the interests of my voters well but you know I'll learn about that i am not yeah. You cannot function in this world unless you uh, surrender power to other people who you can trust. You got to go to a dentist. You got to go to a doctor. You yeah. got to go oh, to right. But that was the point I was making, David, that oh. deciding political issues is not the same as science, technical scientific issues or technical medical. issues. I disagree with you. 100%. Okay. That's an anti-democratic stance because the the whole idea of democracy is to believe that the collective is smarter than individuals. And if you say, no, it's okay for the representatives who are that's, elected in this ridiculous system that we have in the saying. United States. That's not what I'm saying. You're 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 that you're you're maybe I didn't make myself clear. Eventually, you you have to. It's about leadership. You vote for a leader. And when that that leader presents 
his or her case to the American people and you say, oh, you know what? Bernie Sanders, George McGovern, Ralph Nader, uh, these people know more. They surround themselves with the right people. I trust them. That's what I mean. What what would give you that level of trust in the current leadership that our corrupted system has produced? I, I just talked about the United Nations, that there are people. What well, that asking, too is 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 problematic because where does most of the money for the United Nations come from? A, a, a large chunk of it comes from the United States. And through that, they're able to exercise uh, power within the United Nations. Right. So this gets, I guess. And the United Nations is not really democratic in the sense that the Security Council uh, is composed of five countries, permanent members that are a result of World War Two uh, that were so, never elected by anyone. So on political issues, you're saying only trust yourself. No, I, I'm what I'm saying is that the um, only trust you, you don't think that there are experts in certain fields who have who we see speak, who we read and say, oh, this person knows a lot about this and we seem to share the same values. I trust them. They're not selling me something. I'm going to defer to this person. I'm, I'm, this person says to vote this way. I trust this person. I'm going to vote. I'm, I'm voting for this person because I'm voting for this or against this because this person is for this or against that. You don't think people do that? And is oh, oh, I think right? people do that. And I think it's, uh, it's the right a, thing to do. A, no, it's a shortcut hmm. that people take so they don't have to take responsibility for their own positions and understanding the issues. They can just say, oh, I trust that guy. So I'm going to let him decide for me what the correct answer is on this particular issue. That's, that's a problem. A that's a republic. That's this a problem. David. Eventually, it is a senator or a congressperson or a council person who you have to trust to make those you don't get to in a republic we don't get to decide whether or not to build the bridge or not the people who we send to the capital yes and that. those people are supposed to operate in our interest and if That's anyone the, could look at the congress of the united states and say that those people are working in the interest of the majority of americans i would say that they but you're you're you might want to I agree counsel. with that, that that of course it's the, the the system has been corrupted and but what I've asked at the top of the segment is where are the Dr. Kings where are the people we could trust and you're well, saying and you're saying to me trust nobody I'm not saying well I don't know about the word trust David you're, you're, I'm, I'm you're saying, saying I'm saying, saying if there, me, there are experts second. out there hang on for one second what you're what you're saying to me, and it's a lot reminds me of what Jimmy Dore and Joe Rogan and people on the oh, right. No. Side. It, it is do your own research, make your own decisions. Don't trust science. Don't trust. Oh, I never said anything well, like that. But but it does. Science is not an individual. Science is a method. Science is a way of don't, understanding don't trust reality. the scientists don't you know. 
And if you I'm not, know, I'm if if what what we have now, what we've ended up with is a post-truth reality where nobody has to trust any authority, where no Dr. King uh, can rise to the top because he'll get assassinated, either his character or physically. This is where we're at. So we're all left to our own computer screen in our own individual ignorance, with our own ignorant opinions, without any great, without Ralph, the Ralph Nader's, George McGovern's, without the Daniel Ellsberg, there aren't, and, and I see it on the left and the right, everybody's a pundit, everybody's a scholar, credentials mean nothing, and so everything's true. Well, that's definitely not my position. My position is there are experts out there. Uh, you have to uh, listen to uh, a number of them. You have to do your background research. You have to consider the big picture. What are the influences affecting those experts and say, can I trust what those experts are saying or what are what? what those experts saying being tainted by uh, other forces such as money, such as uh, campaign contributions, such as, uh, you know, their livelihood considerations about their livelihood, where that's coming from. It's complicated and it's a lot to ask people, but you have to ask them to do that, not just to latch on to somebody that they like, and that they can relate to and that I'm they say, I, I'm not saying that what I'm saying but, is but that is often how people decide who they're going to trust. And that is not a reliable uh, avenue to arrive at the truth. Right. Well, I, I we're, we're going around in circles. Yeah, I, and, and I have to take off that this is just a couple of things I want to say. OK, um, most people in this country have congealed around some basic things like most people want universal health care. Most people want a living wage. I mean, this goes back to what Harvey, our friend Harvey J.K. says. I mean, if we have a real leftist movement, it has to be a broad coalition of working class people. And yeah, I think a lot of us are now much more sensitive about issues, uh, LGBTQ issues, and maybe men are a little more aware of women's issues. But when you start making movements politically, you're going to be making common cause with a lot of people you don't personally like. Now, I think Twitter just amplifies this because it's everybody's faction. Everybody's trying to get their little, you know, a lane in terms of the political uh, to political vision. But if you go out and organize a labor union, you will get a lot of people, you know, working together who may not vote the way you, but everybody wants uh, safe working to conditions, more wages. They want to be treated fairly. They want health care. And, you know, that's that is where I mean, we've always been kind of fractured. I mean, leftist movements being fractured is nothing new. Uh, I think um, FDR had the advantage, so to speak, of having just a ca catastrophic uh, economic collapse, which, you know, made it easy to do to make very big changes that benefited people. Uh, we're still comfortable. There's way too many people that still have their flat screens and their HBOs and Disney Plus subscription. Right. It's going to be hard to get people. It's hard to go out and march. 
it's hard to get people to do it, but people are organizing. And, uh, and I think that what's coming out is pretty healthy in some sense, even though it looks completely disheveled. I mean, I'm just looking at what David Sirota just did now. He is now, he was on Bernie's campaign. He used to be a reporter for the International Business Times, now has his own outlet, media outlet called The Lever. And he's been writing about, uh, you know, he's been writing about what's happened in Ohio. And what's happened in Ohio is opening up people's eyes. It's like, you know, and maybe this might be what shakes some of the Democrats because, you know, uh, the Democrats just voted to crush, to break a strike and crush a union. Was it was it over pay? That was part of it. But no, it was over insane. It was over. It was just over insane scheduling, you know, and skeletal crews and the kind of thing that makes an accident happen. Maybe I don't know what what exactly was at fault with this accident. They blame Trump. I think the brakes overheated. But, you know, Obama, people and David Sirota has been pointing out that the Obama administration initially had some regulations on the railroads. And then the lobbyists prevailed upon his administration to take almost all of them out. So whatever the cause was, sooner or later, oh, a few years ago, there was that uh, spill was like uh, Quebec City killed a bunch of people. Again, it was a skeletal crew. They I think they prosecuted the engineer, but everybody was saying at the time it was a private rail company and they were just cutting staff to the bone. And sooner or later, you're going to get accidents like this. And yes, Pete Buttigieg is coming in, you know, for a world of flack that he didn't expect, partly because people were, you know, people were getting riled up by people like David Sirota, who's saying, you know, this is the real bottom line here. We can rail against these horrible, batshit, crazy Republicans all we want. But the reality was, we had a Congress in a White House controlled by Democrats, and they behaved badly. They campaigned on a unity ticket that, yes, you know, we are going to take all these considerations. Bernie Sanders, you know, led his younger followers to vote for Biden, most of them did, and they got nothing. And so finally, people are being shaken. We're not going to have a clean revolution that's going to meet somebody's Hollywood standards, always messy. I mean, when I listen to the old hippies talk about anti-war rallies, even back in the 60s, I mean, you know, (laughs) people weren't at each other's throats back then. And this is before Twitter. So all I'm saying is that, you know, I think people... People's instincts are groping in the right direction. And uh, we just, you know, we have to get over, we comfortable lefties have to get over um, not wanting to bother the people we like, you know, our favorite politician. We have to demand, I mean, we have to, figuratively speaking, grab them by the throat and say, how dare you not listen to us? You know, we're suffering out here. Anyway, guys. Peace. I have to I have to go. Thank you both for a great conversation. Thank you, Professor Marianne Cummings. Follow her on Twitter as Razor Girl and Professor Bick. We'll see you Friday night. And may I say, David, I I think I have outdone myself for the Twilight Zone presentation. You Uh, have have over a hundred slides for this. Really? (laughs) Yeah, we've got uh, four. important actors uh, coming up in this episode and uh who 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 uh we have lee marvin mm. 
we have uh, Lee, uh, Lee Van Cleef. Lee, uh, uh, who played the $6 million man? No, no, no. That was Lee uh, Majors. Lee Majors. Yeah. We have James. Who was uh, Jackie Onassis' sister? Jackie Onassis' sister? <laughs> I don't know. She, she, she was an actress. Was she? I think so. I think she tried acting. Oh, oh she's not in this one that I know of. No. But, uh, I think she tried acting once. Okay. <laughs> okay. We've got Struther Martin mm. and uh, James Best and a couple of other prominent Western actors of the day okay. in this one. So, and who do we have for Columbo? Uh, for Columbo, that is an excellent question. Um, haven't started on that one yet. Um, Rick, can you tell me <laughs> which episode is next? Uh, it's the first episode of the second season, David. I, I can't tell you the name of it at the moment. I, I just finished Take the Cannoli, Leave the Gun, or Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. That, that book should be studied at office hours. Is, the, is that about the Godfather? It's the making of the Godfather. That's and, a good line. And they're, they're, it's, it's an amazing story. It's just amazing. It's, it, the, in fact, it's like The Godfather. I want to reread the book now, now that I've... Uh, okay. Uh, fantastic. Thank you. I'll see you tonight, Friday night. Friday night. Yeah, everybody come to office hours. Yeah, thank you. Oh, uh, Columbo, it's a great one. Uh, John Cassavetes is mm. a uh, friend of Peter Rollins, Paul. Does it take place in London? No, no, it takes. Uh, he's a um, conductor of an orchestra. Okay. Very good episode. Uh, strongly mm-hmm. recommended. All right. Fantastic. And uh, Star Trek. The, the mother of uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is in it as well. Oh, Blythe Danner. Yeah. In fact, uh, her daughter is in it because she's pregnant with her. So you get to see the bump. You get to see, look, you hear the goop. <laughs> There's a little yeah, goop in it. Little bump. She's perfect with Paltrow. She's a little <laughs> oh, model. Gee, yeah, no. I just look to her for. Now that's an expert you can trust, David. Yes. All right. Uh, thank you, Professor Jonathan Bay. Thank you, sir. All right, Joe. I'm catch all I, those steps. I, I, yeah, uh, I'm going to rewatch this. I'm flying to Norway. I want that. What What, what was the seasoning? What is that? Uh, I just had a soy sauce based stock. Mm-hmm. You you basically cook it in any kind of salty soup, basically. So that is gluten. That is basically bread without the bran and the carbohydrates. Joe, I've washed out everything, and all that remains is the chewy gluten. And you can knot it up in a ball like I did and cook it so that you get different That's textures, amazing. dense and soft. And what do you do with the stuff or, that you take away from it? Like what's left? What do you do with the bran? And it's you just wash it, wash it away. Is it of it's any value? Rinsing. I suppose you could use so much water. You go through a lot of water. It's just you're washing away the starch. And uh, our kimchi from last week started yeah. to ferment. It's winter, so it takes a little bit longer. So fantastic! I get zingy. Now I think. There's an ISO cam of you. I think I, I spoke to Zoom, and I think we have an ISO cam of you. Uh, thank you, everybody. Fantastic. You're listening to The David Feldman Show, you happy, self-actualized hump.